loss of life and displaced people are of course top of mind for us. But it is impossible to ignore the pictures of orchard after orchard underwater in Hawke's Bay, long described as Aotearoa New Zealand's food basket. Paul Painter's family have been growing fruit in Hawke's Bay since 1904. As of yesterday, 45 hectares of his orchards are totally underwater in the Esk Valley. So a rugby field's just over one hectare, so an area the equivalent of 45 rugby fields. He says the river silt smothered over the soil has changed what they can grow there. Paul is the general manager of Yummy Fruit, and he joins me in the studio now. Tēnā koe, Paul. G'day. G'day. We are very lucky to even be in touch with you, and the only reason we can talk with you is that you happen to have just returned from a trade fair in Berlin and have not managed to get home to Havelock North yet. No, we're, we're trapped here in Auckland. Um, I could fly to Napier, but from there it's impossible to get across the rivers to my home. So um, I'm actually going to fly to Palmerston North tomorrow and from there you can drive up the road open today. Previously there were two blockages in the road, but uh, now we're, we've got food flowing into the district via Palmerston North as well. So it's a huge relief. It's good to hear that things are that that things are changing, albeit slowly, and as things are able to. What can you tell us about the scale and the reality of the damage for you and others in your region or in your area? I think it's been hugely underestimated to date, and that's partly because communications and and transport have been so compromised. I mean, a good deal of our orchards we can't get to. We don't know what the damage is. So the Tutaikuri River, that's the one in the north of the Aratonga Plains, breached its banks in several locations. And, um, yeah, probably we had in in Pakifai about two metres, two and a half metres of, of water. And we were also, like like the press story, we had 22 RSE workers uh, rescued by boat and, and chopper off the off the roofs. And there are many local residents that had a similar experience. So this is probably a kilometre and a half from the river. And you're getting very, very quickly, once the water breached, uh, you know, water rising very fast. So there were, it was right up to the gutters on the house within a few short minutes. So there was little time to do anything. So I'm deeply fearful for the elderly or less mobile because um, I'm not certain that we aren't going to find uh, some more tragedies when the water subsides. Tell us about Esk Valley. Who's there with you in your in your community? Well, historically, Esk Valley was a, was a sherry-growing region. It used to grow Palomino grapes uh, in the 1960s, and it was probably the biggest region for, for that in New Zealand when sherry was a big deal. And since that time, it's still got uh, quite a number of uh, significant vineyards in there and of recent times we've planted quite a lot of apples in there as has one other party and Bayview that's just at the bottom of the Esk Valley is notorious as being right by the ocean and an early flowering area where a lot of apricots are grown and early stone fruit so it's a very productive and a very beautiful valley and it flooded uh, the soils there were formed in 1938 when there was a pretty stupid back then we cut down a, a lot of um, uh, bush up country, and then it had a huge amount of rain. All the hillsides washed away, and two metres of silt was deposited in the valley. And after all these years, it's now got quite a good soil structure and is pretty fertile. So since 1938, we haven't had an event like this, where a river goes from the Esk River go, went from being seven or eight metres wide to being a kilometre wide, basically from hillside to hillside. So all of the fertile plains um, there were covered in water, and we're not talking 
you know, a foot, we're talking about a couple of metres. So none of all those pictures of the Esk Valley are of our orchards, but you can't see any trees because they're 100% covered in water. So thinking about that, how, how, how high is a tree? As in how deep is that water? Well, labour's difficult. So these days, a tree used to be five or six metres tall on my grandfather's day, taller even than that. Uh, but now people don't want to climb ladders all day, and it's dangerous. So we've got dwarf and rootstock. So we're trying to grow a tree there. It's actually a vineyard conversion. We're trying to grow trees that are probably 2.2, 2.3 metres tall. So a lot of water to um, fill up the valley like that. And the concern is that we're probably going to have a big layer of silt that's deposited all over those soils. And um, you're not excited about soil, but I am. And uh, it's Tell a, show it, me. Please talk about it, soil. It's a living, breathing organism. And the key thing, uh, when you dig your garden, you see all those little clumps, all that structure, that little nutty structure, it gets oxygen into the ground. And that feeds the bacteria and the fungi, the beneficial uh, microorganisms, which really make things grow. So healthy soil needs oxygen. It's really critical. So when it's had, when it's been absolutely waterlogged and then a, have a, uh, a layer of silt seal it off, then it becomes anaerobic and not very good for production. Now, that fresh layer of silt, I think, in 50 years' time will be a great blessing to us. But, yeah, it's a little bit tricky at the present point in time. Probably uh, it may be that if it's if significant enough, we'll be back to only growing shallow-rooted crops or pasture there for a while until the soil settles down. But it hasn't subsided to be sure about that yet, but for sure there'll be a lot of river silt. So what contact do you have with your orchards right now? Have you accounted for all your workers? Yeah, everybody's accounted for, no injuries or loss of life. Um, but uh, the orchards are decimated. We can't get to some of them, and there's a huge amount of water, still a lot of water uh, in the in the field, and, of course, it's not draining. Normally you have uh, gravity drains that feed into, you know, uh, waterways, drains, large drains, large rural drains, and the uh, the outlets for those, those um, drainage systems are below the level of the water in the drain, so actually there's more pressure in the water pushing the water the other direction. So we've got to keep moving that water. If water's moving, trees don't die, but still water will suffocate the roots and kill the tree off. So yeah, really an uncertain time. How many trees have you got? About a million. Whoa. How many staff have you got? 500 at the present point of time. It goes up and down, but we're into the harvest now. We're probably about... 8% through the apple harvest, and we've just been through the stone fruit season. So we've got 500 staff on the payroll at the moment. And that, that um, people, you know, think economics is only about rich people, but, you know, I, a lot of our workers are um, reasonably modestly paid and often seasonal uh, workers. And, um, you know, I know and I think about it regularly that, uh, you know, when, when, when the kids turn up to work to pick that up or mum up, uh, that we're feeding those kids. So it weighs pretty heavily on us uh, to keep that wage bill ticking over and make sure that we um, you know, nurture the families in Hawke's Bay. So all of your 500 staff are accounted for. What, where are they located at the moment, do you know? Well, communication is very difficult. So for a lot of people, there's been two days um, of no power, no phone, no internet, no gaming, and the kids don't know what to do. So it's been very difficult to communicate. And there's been some 3G access, but the phone lines work for a brief period of time and you can't hear what anybody's saying, uh, which is why I think even the media have struggled to get a handle on what's going on there. Uh, and there's, there's now one 4G tower going, so if you direct people to the right place, you can communicate, but it's still 
very patchy. Now, I've just had a texter text in, and I meant to ask you this earlier, so I'm pleased. Thank you, texter, for reminding me. Can you position Esk Valley for us in the Hawke's Bay? Where is it in relationship to Napier and Havelock North and Hastings? Okay, so uh, we've got Havelock North and then Hastings in the, in the, towards the south uh, of the Hawke Bay area, and then you've got Napier, you'll sort of know by the sea where the port is, and then north of that is Bayview, and just around the corner is the Esk Valley. So basically there are three great rivers in Hawke's Bay, the Tutaikuri in the north, the Nararoro in the middle, and the Tukituki in the south. And the best soils were formed by the Nararoro, but the ones from the uh, Tutaikuri are pretty good too, and that's a river that largely uh, caused all the damage. So north of that there's a little valley um, north of uh, Napier, north of the airport, um, that heads north, State Highway 5. And um, that's a beautiful valley to live in, absolutely picturesque. And uh, that's the one that uh, that flooded um, hugely. I mean, it, unfortunately, there were subsequent floods on the Heratonga Plains as well, which is a much greater area and will have done a lot more economic damage. But, I mean, this is flooding like we've never seen. The plains were formed by thousands and thousands of years of flooding and uncontrollable rivers. And in the 1920s and 30s, basically, two things were applied. Firstly, um, the stop banks to control the flooding. And secondly, modern uh, drainage systems were put in place to allow the water, uh, when it did come out of the sky or elsewhere, um, to be drained away. And that made the Heratonga Plains really fertile and really farmable reliably. Before that, it wasn't possible. And because, I mean, we've got places where we've got two metres of topsoil, it's incredible stuff. So we get foreigners in there. They don't believe the yields we can get. And it's true of a lot of crops. We can get 50% more fruit than they will ever can ever think of in Chile or South Africa or anywhere like that. So it's an unbelievably productive resource. And uh, it really is... Um, you know the great acid Hawke's Bay, the the aquifers and the and the great soil and the the high um, sunlight and relatively low rainfall in most times. So let's talk about yields. How much fruit was on the tree when all of this when when Gabrielle came visiting? Well, our objective with new orchards is to hit about ninety tons a hectare. Uh, we have some that will do one hundred and ten or one hundred and twenty. Uh, and probably our average is about 80 these days. So that's probably 50% more than it was 15 years ago. And it's all about growing these dwarf trees and fruiting walls and uh, much more intensive growing systems. So we're, we used to be on rows. My grandfather used to plant on 20-foot square sort of pattern. And we're now in rows that are only uh, down to 2.4 metres wide, so very narrow rows. So we're talking like 3,500 tonnes of fruit on those trees right now, roughly, if we go 80 times 45. Would that per, be about per, it? Per hectare, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've just flown back from Berlin. I'm just trying to get my head around what this, what this is like for you without saying how do you feel. But you've just come in, you've just flown back in from a trade fair in Berlin. Mm. Yummy fruit. We know yummy. We know the wee stickers, right? Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. It's a thing you've got to deal with, and so do we. So it's okay. As a result, we know yummy. Yummy's in our kitchens. Yummy's mm. in our lunch boxes. We all eat yummy. Um, I'm just trying to understand how it is for you right now because you're not back there. When did you hear about this happening? What's going through your mind? How have you spent today to prepare to get home? 
when I was away, I was looking at the paper and we could see it coming and that big anti-cyclone. I mean, I never worry about potential cyclones because they always drift around like a wild thing and don't arrive. Um, but I immediately contacted home and said, I can't see this one avoiding us because that anti-cyclone is going to push it straight down on us. And sure enough, it did. Um, but, you know, we've got the roof off the factory and, and we're farmers and we've been in it. We actually started in Stoke in 1862. So we've been in it for a very, very long time. And my grandfather lost his entire crop in a, in a frost in the 1930s. We lost almost all of our crop in 94 in a big hailstorm. There's been a lot of adversity. Um, and there has to be a way through these things. And I, I kind of think that adversity is not purposeless or purely accidental. And, um, you know, at the end of the year when we've got through this, uh, yeah, I'll be a poorer man, but um, hopefully I'll, I'll be a better one. So, you know, I try to stay optimistic because of these times, they are times when we uh, become more empathetic, more compassionate, where our communities come together. And we also start thinking, hang on a minute, these trees are destroyed, so I've got a blank canvas. So rather than grow Brayburn and Pink Lady, which are losing money for Europe, I'm going to start thinking about what are the apples that are going to inspire many of the Asian customers and the changing demographic in New Zealand. So it gives us an opportunity as well as um, you know, devastating the, the work that we've currently done. So I'm pretty optimistic about it. You can either be bitter and resentful uh, about these things or somehow you can just learn to um, accept the fact that that's farming and you're going to get a one in a hundred year flood uh, about once every hundred years, uh, probably two in a row and none for 200 years. That's life on the land and uh, we do need some assistance for sure to help us get through but this is part and parcel of what my family have dealt with for generations. Let's talk about what assistance is required. Well, I think the, one of the key things that has disappeared under the radar and might sound very boring is banking. But in the old days, banks used to back you on a long history and also your uh, their security, so low indebtedness. Now, our, our indebtedness, our core debt's about 34%, so it's not out of hand. But these days, banks are not worried about security to the same degree. Uh, they're worried about earnings. And basically, they've adopted... Um, the new Basel III regulations, and also Adrian Orr's trying to um, make our banking system the most highly capitalised in the world, and I think also to um, diversify our capital markets. There's all sort of strategic things going on in Wellington, uh, a lot of them ideologically driven, and I think most of them are good ideas, but the problem is it's making uh, banking agriculture in New Zealand very, very difficult to do. The banks don't like it. If you're losing money, it triggers their capital reserve requirements, so they've got to carry a whole lot more capital. And a lot of industries like the dairy industry, um, I think they've got 390 a kilo of milk fat in uh, 2015, and then you know, next year it was at 790. So they are volatile. And probably one year in a decade or two years in a decade, uh, you're going to have a downturn. They're always cyclical. And we have to find a mechanism for banking volatility, for getting the banks to, um, you know, bank us. And unfortunately, they're talking now about uh, very, very high levels of, of capital reserves for banking agriculture and uh, banking housing is cheap and easy. So they really don't like us as a sector, particularly uh, over the last few years. I mean, look at what we've had. We've had um, COVID. Uh, we've had, obviously, incredible labour stresses. Um, the shipping prices go completely crazy. The Ukraine war, which has wrecked the uh, European market in particular, but it sent the oil prices sky high and lots of other things. Um, so COVID and, and Ukraine have been difficult for us. And then 
we've got this weather crisis. Well, these are all factors beyond our control. And previous to that, we had quite a number of very good years. And that, those, that's, that'll happen again when a lot of these things normalise, and they will. Shipping prices are slowly coming down. The uh, tourists, the backpackers are back. Um, we've got a little bit more labour than we've had in the past. Oil prices have come back a little bit. They'll probably come back some more. So we're going to end up with a more normal world. And in that situation, we're all going to be making money again. So somehow we have to find a mechanism, either through the commercial banks or through some government of assistance, of uh, retaining the skill base in our industry and rebuilding to retain those jobs and, and keep the economic engine going for Hawke's Bay. So that's the message for the banks and a message in there for central government too. It's highly likely some of your 500 team, your team of 500 are listening. What's your message for them and what's your message for the community? Well, I think business is uh, an integral part of the community. It's the economic engine that feeds your kids and uh, and generates the taxes to pay for the healthcare and education. So uh, there's a huge community good in there. And as a family business, we, we take that responsibility very seriously. So we're going to do our best to um, you know, try to retain our workers and, and, and build again for the future. But it is going to be difficult. And, um, you know, the bank's not going to say to us, well, here's $10 million to go and plant a whole lot of new trees. They're going to say to us, tough situation out there. When you start making money, come and talk to us about planting trees again. But for now, they're going to want to see us cut costs, retrench, and find a, a stable economic base. And I can understand that. And we're going to have to be listening to them, otherwise they won't fund us. So, um, yeah, we have got some hard decisions to make and we have got some orchards that will be beyond recovery and that will cost some labour. Having said that, tourism's getting going. Um, I mean, the hotels are super short of people. Hospitality's really struggling. I was at a restaurant at a, at a hotel last night and they were absolutely not coping. There's not enough people. So uh, I think that a lot of these people will will uh, find employment in those sectors, and you know I'm sure the government would like some of them to train to be nurses and other things. So we, it's not likely we're going to have a whole lot of unemployed out of, out of this. There are lots of jobs at the moment. You can, you know, signs down every main street in New Zealand saying "Help Wanted." Uh, so I, nobody's going to be unemployed. Um, although it is probably right that I, we used to need 450 or 500 pickers. Maybe I only need 400 now. So tomorrow you're making the trek home, flying to Palmerston North and then driving through. When do you expect to put your foot back on one of your orchards? Oh, the minute I get into town. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, the ones we're really worried about are over the Nararoro and the, the bridges are closed and they won't let anybody cross those until they've ex- um, inspected them because there's been a lot of debris come down and they're all stuck on the bottom of the bridges and uh, we actually are on both sides, immediately both sides of um, the Tutaikuri at the Brookfields Bridge and you might have seen the footage of that being washed away. It's a huge, uh, well-engineered concrete bridge from the days of yore and it disappeared like a toothpick down the stream. It's unbelievable so, imagery, right, yeah. isn't it? It's, oh, it's, it's hard to watch, actually. I've been across that river a thousand times and that's the, that's how we access one of our big plots of land. So got some real questions about, about transport and um, nobody wants to take a risk on those bridges because we could get another collapse. So the council will be very cautious about that uh, and they're going to make sure they inspect everything before they open it up to traffic again. So, I, you know, I get that. But at the moment, it means that it's simply not possible without 
um, probably a helicopter, and they're pretty busy, uh, to get across and inspect the orchards. Now, we have got plenty of staff trapped in each of the zones. So, you know, in the world of, of digital communications, we'll get some photos and videos and dig some holes and do all sorts of things and capture that data remotely. But you can't beat walking through a block. As well as everything else, you've seen um, strong winds, so there's quite a lot of fruit that will have fallen off and bounced through the trees. Paul, it's been really wonderful to have you here in the studio. And um, we're wishing you well. And I'm filling in for Karen Hay, as you well know, tonight. And uh, I'm sure that she'd like to check in with you, you know, next week and the coming weeks just to see how things are going. So we're wishing you well for for your journey home. And, uh, and a message for your team of 500 and the communities that they are a part of, uh, that, that we're keen just to follow how everything comes together for you all at this very uncertain time. So thank you so much for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thank you.